We got Giant Geo, Zero HP Lovecraft, Stain Haynes in the house, and we've got the great and powerful uh, Marilyn Monroe, Back from the Dead. Great of you to join us, Marilyn. <laughs> Although it seems like there is somebody uh, behind you. I don't know who that is. Oh, my, oh my God. God. That's no happy birthday, Mr. President. It's <laughs> like a nobody TM video. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to uh, one of my favorite Twitter posters of all time, Thinkwort. Thank you so much for coming in, buddy. I really appreciate it. And I would love to uh, get to know you a little bit better, what you're all about. I mean, for those who do not know Thinkwort, oh my God, there is more layers. And I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids. And I think the meddling kids are the ones that today are trying to stop the kind of content that you are embodying in a strange way, you know, because this uh, whimsy Twitter, well, we're going to get all into it anyway. You know, like we're in an environment right now where it's all about, you know, like, uh, uh, uh. And uh, I think today we're going to have less of the, uh, 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 and more of the, well, you get what I'm saying. Anyway, Thinkword, you are an English professor. And uh, just go go from there. Tell us, Whoa, wow. how did you, yeah, how did you become an English professor? Where do you teach? How can we lodge complaints against you to the school board to get you canceled? Uh, I will not divulge where I'm actually at. Um, but I am at a small Midwestern university, private liberal arts, and I've been teaching for, this is my 17th year teaching here. You can see some of my books of my office bookshelf back there, very messy bookshelf. But yeah, I've been teaching English for 17 years at the university level, and I have a PhD in British Romantics, and uh, I kind of do Twitter on the side. Why do you do Twitter on the side? How did that start? Um, I kind of found that Twitter was a place where I could have a social outlet and also be um, expressive uh, and, and kind of play, play a little bit with what I'm doing. And um, I don't know, I feel like I'm not articulating it well, but I, I really like kind of like the game aspect of it, of, of you post something, you see to get a reaction, you get nothing. You post something else, it gets a little bit better reaction, so you end up playing with that. You kind of tinker and tinker and tinker and see what works, see what doesn't work. And uh, you just play with things over and over and over again until you kind of find a, a stride that works for you. And uh, the, the think word persona is basically that. Just lots of trial and error over several months until I kind of hit something that worked for me and what I wanted to do. So you didn't start out doing whimsy Twitter in a way you no. kind of whimsy Twitter created itself from the uh, eager gore, so to speak. No, I posted William Blake tweets uh, when I started out. Um, I was teaching a course on William Blake. And so I just posted one tweet about William Blake every day. And I did that for about two months. Uh, and then I started kind of segueing into a little more jokes and things and uh, did a lot of kind of things with emoticons and emojis. I did things that were just trying to be clever little jokes, but the formula that seemed to work was kind of old images with a modern context joke, and it kind of took off from there. Why do you think, uh, well, this is actually something I want to ask the uh, rest of the panel right now, just to get their opinion. Why do you think ThinkWords content, and in general, like what I keep calling whimsy Twitter, has taken off, especially, I think, I'm not sure, this is just a guess, among all the people who are, let's say, non 
leftist. And I could just be completely wrong about that, but it's just the kind of vibe that I'm getting is that your content, I wouldn't say it's more traffic to specifically just, just right-leaning people, but it doesn't seem to be the same kind of Yas Queen Slay energy, if uh, I could put it that way. So I don't know, like a zero, zero HP, what do you think? I'm not sure who else constitutes whimsy Twitter, but I could speculate that there is a playfulness and a sophistication to Thinkworks humor that uh, isn't isn't quite for the mass consciousness. If I may, if I may uh, risk being effusive, <laughs> so there's there's something about it that is striking to people who are playful, who have a sense of humor. And I think that maybe uh, ThinkWorks' academic background is sort of present as a shadow in in that work. There's something witty about it, is what I would say. Stain, do you agree? Well, uh, I I agree, and I'd like to build on what Zero HP Lovecraft uh, expressed, and where um, it's not. I, it's easy to see people looking at like a few ThinkWork tweets and like rolling their eyes and groaning and immediately writing it off as like a dad joke, which is kind of a weird catch-all term for like, I suppose like uh, humor that isn't like East Coast, uh, sarcastic, observational, borderline pedantic guy ranting on a microphone kind of humor. Like, I'm not gonna lie, there have been a few ThinkWork tweets that like after the fact or a few minutes after reading i'm like that was hilarious let me go back and now i'm like frantically scrolling back up the like the timeline um but i think it uh i think if you're predisposed to certain kinds of i'll give you an example like um if you're if you're partial to something like rodney dangerfield like something like uh, uh then like think words tweets are more likely to hit you than not i don't know if that makes sense because, like, you could translate Rodney Dangerfield to any language and, like, people will still get it if they get it, you know? Well, if they get it, that's the important point here, where I wonder how much this uh, other kind of humor that Zero HP mentioned has become more prevalent in uh, the psyche, especially of young people, where... I wonder if they would get the cleverness of certain things or if that cleverness muscle has kind of worn off. And I want to go back to uh, ThinkWorks since you are a college professor. There are Zoomers around you at all times. So uh, let me know what exactly is the energy, at least at your school, that the Zoomers are giving off. And I would love to get a uh, Geo's. Actually, before that, I want to get Geo's reaction to ThinkWord as well. Geo, you've seen ThinkWord. What do you think? Yeah, he's an OG in the like Twitter humor sphere. Uh, I, I mean, I would love to get a definition of uh, whimsy Twitter, but I think like the difference, the, the only thing I can compare it to, I think would be the sort of like the older, like ironic, like weird Twitter type of stuff that is predominantly leftist, I guess, but uh, there's it's a weird form of sincerity with Thinkworks tweets. Whereas like, if you compare like, I don't know, who's the top one? Like, Went, Drill, you know that one? For some reason, it's like, that's like, I guess, Reddit humor personified. But with the, with, with ThinkWords tweets, I guess there's a mind there. And I'm also curious to notice, to ask um, if there's any of, like, the Blakeian influence going on. If there's, like, an elaborate sort of allegory running throughout. 
Uh, maybe I just I'm making too much of tweets, but well, it'd be pretty interesting to talk about. Well, we could start with that. Uh, so I think, or what do you think? Is there Blakean influence? Um, one of the things that makes Blake interesting is that he's one of these first artists who really incorporates art with text. And everything that he wrote was accompanied with text and was important, important to what he was trying to say. In that sense, I think there is some kind of a compliment. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a... a Blakean ethos to what I write, but there is definitely, I, I will often try to smuggle in literary references and mm. uh, English professor jokes, uh, things that people who took the Brettlet surveys would get uh, in, into there. Um, but uh, yeah, I just liked uh, Blake because um, he's kind of a, a, a very unique artist. Um, probably not all there mentally, but he was just uh, a really brilliant in his own way. And um, yeah, I, I don't know if there's too much of a correlation or a connection there beyond the, some of the kind of broader scope things. Well, like as an artist and printmaker myself, I always like found his method of like inverting uh, plate, plate etching like fascinating the, yeah. because he needed that like quickness of reproduction. So he, he almost like inverted it to become more like relief printing. But um, what, I, what I find fascinating though is like, I guess like I know ZHP has a lot of commentary in this as a, someone who's in academia, but particularly, I guess a lot of like, you know, grad students and adjuncts that frequent Twitter, there's the whole thing now about like sincerity and irony and new sincerity. And I wonder if you have any like thoughts on if things are changing in that regard, um, if sincerity is sort of making a new head roads or if those are two just two monumentally broad categories and, or was still like existing within some kind of postmodern ironic framework in terms of discourse like it's, it's very and I, and I also think yeah. that that question uh, goes into the uh, student question as well so whichever one you would want to start with uh, uh, go for it yeah those are both intelligent questions I don't have good answers prepared for either one um I don't know if I have too much of a finger on the, the pulse of students. I really don't spend a lot of time small chat talking with students that much, you know? Um, I, I don't really advertise my Twitter to my students. That's kind of a little sphere I keep for myself. Um, so, but, as, but as far as like what they ask, what they like talking about in class. Um, I have a pretty good crew, I'd say, uh, throughout the years. I've never felt too much of a hostility or a, oh no, I can't believe these are the kids that are gonna raise the next generation or lead the next generation. Uh, I feel pretty positive about the, my students and, and what I have to, to deal with. Um, my university, not to give away too much, is a more of a conservative bent. Hmm. Well, I don't know if that's uh, the reason uh, why. There are universities out there, obviously, like Evergreen, where all hell has broken loose. You would say your university is as far away from the Evergreen type as uh, yeah, possible? Yeah, we're, we're pretty far from that, yeah. yeah. All right, well, there we um, go. I guess that's that's the answer. So as far as the authenticity question that Gio asked, uh, what do you think? Um, kind of reiterate that question for me again. 
Oh, uh, if if sincerity is making a comeback from like postmodern ironic detachment, or if that's really just cope and we still exist within this like weird ironic uh, ironic framework. Uh, I mean, I think it's still there. Um, part of of what I I like to do, or at least what I try to do, is is kind of counter programming in a way, uh, mm-hmm. where you kind of zig where the people are zagging and and put things that are not like what everybody else is. I've often said that if, if nobody talked about politics on Twitter, I'd be the guy talking about politics on Twitter just because I want to be a little contrarian uh, yeah. about it. But I don't see people doing the kind of things that I'm talking about um, where it's kind of, let's not talk about the flash in the pan, the politics of this exact second, which is terrible and will always be terrible. Let's talk about the things that will still be amusing five years from now, 10 years ago, those things that are a little more, have more longevity, right? Nothing ages quite as bad as politics. This is one of my favorite ones, by the way, for those who are listening audio only. Uh, there is a man riding a duck as a signpost that somebody erected and has been there for 20 years in a porth crawl. So yeah, stuff, stuff like that, uh, I, really, uh, I really enjoy looking at. And, and that's real, I, by the yeah. way. I, that's not a, a joke tweet. That is you know, something and, that actually exists, yeah. And not not to beat a dead horse, but that's a perfect example of like, if your brain puts two and two together and parses the meaning of the joke, like there's no text, like it presents itself to you. Kind of like how, and again, I'm not beating a dead horse, but I'm convinced you could take any Rodney Dangerfield joke, jam it through Google Translate, say it to a foreign crowd, and they'll get it. And like that quality, that like evergreen quality, I think is like something that like surfaces over and over with what you tweet and put out things for. Hmm. More like uh, evergreen with envy, because I don't think they'd be able to uh, me- measure measure up to this kind of quality. I mean, oh, that is, God. I think that is kind of behind a lot of this uh, movements, uh, these movements that we see where they take a statue down, but whatever they replace it with is never going to be as good. And maybe deep down inside, they kind of realize that. Like, you know, we're sitting on the shoulders of giants. All this great stuff has been done before. We can't we can't do any of this great stuff. We're just going to smash it all up. We're just going to destroy. We're just going to throw a hissy fit. I don't know. Uh, if I could chime in real quickly, um, I, there's that, that kind of mentality... It's kind of weird how it bleeds out into things where like, all right, like, um, like, I know this is probably not the best comparison and it's not even apples to oranges, it's like apples to herring guts. But like, let's say someone is talking about like supply chain disruption and they're like, hey, paying $8 for a gallon of milk, this is no good. And then you have like some awful human who's like, um, actually, it's six dollars and change. Check yourself, and it's like it's your number treats. one. Number <laughs> yeah. one, that's not even an, that's not even the own they think it is. You know what I mean? And number two, it's like, well, even though you're right, and even though the psychic corrosion of economic uncertainty runs down my spine whenever I go to the supermarket, yeah, up yours, guy who said milk is eight dollars a gallon. There's like a weird like cutting off their nose to spite their face, in like replies and replacing things that are torn down. Like never. And honestly, if it wasn't for the Internet, these people would be going through your mail and, and uh, lighting neighborhood dogs on fire. Like there's never there's never proactive like, you know, I suffered this way. No one should ever have to suffer this way, like outpouring of like effort. And even in the things they express online, 
Um, it's it's just like you know, I know it sounds corny, but like it's toxic for lack of a better term. It, it has no it has no redeeming social value. It doesn't bring anything to the table. It doesn't move discourse forward. It's just awful, you know. Yeah, ZHP, you had a comment. I think there's a, a critical distance that some people have from Twitter that they're able to view it as a game. And then there's some people who can't really make that abstraction or that distinction. And they think Twitter is just supposed to be Facebook. It's just supposed to be part of real life. These are the sort of people who are against anonymity. They think that, you know, words are violence. Words are not violence. Like in <laughs> elementary school, we learned that sticks and stones can break our bones, right? But this, this lesson is no longer understood. So I think most of the anonymous Twitter like almost everyone who is anonymous gets it. They realize this is a game. There are point systems, there are guilds, there are looser and tighter affinities. And we like, this is a game. And then, so I think where talks about his orientation to Twitter as a game, I think that's why it resonates. I think it may, might even be as simple as that. Whereas if you believe it's really just one more public square where you're your own face, your own person, that you can't you can't get that distance and you can't laugh what do you what do you think about expanding that concept not just to the internet but to uh life in general that life is nothing but a game or do you think that that's too uh how however you'd phrase it well life is becoming gamified i guess that would be that's that's the opposite though that's not life being a game that's a game becoming life which is also Mm -hmm. fine maybe or inevitable, I don't put a moral dimension to it necessarily. Well, in a way, when you uh, play the game of life, there are, let's say, uh, certain elements that I could see being very similar in the game. I don't think it's as much whether we treat life as a game or not, more about how exactly we go about playing that game. So one of those things that uh stain haynes mentioned with the well actually you know type of uh humor i'm not really sure who exactly it's meant to appeal to it seems very distraught it seems very draining just to uh have people like that in your life so i I would i would go i i'd say it's mostly cope but it but some of it has to do with like like i'm sure everyone here has argued with someone and like even if you even if you have like if you have them dead to rights, like they still have to get the last word in. And yeah. even if the last word doesn't contribute, oh, yes. even if the last word doesn't <laughs> emphasize a point, even if the last <laughs> word doesn't, e- even like even if the last word and, and notice the last words are almost never I'm sorry or my bad or you know what, dude, I meant to say X, but what came out was Y. It's always it's always this like weird parting shot to kind of salve uh put put salve on their like wounded ego um but um but real quickly before i forget uh there was something i wanted to add uh in in the earlier discussion about sincerity in the post-ironic landscape we find ourselves in um or whatever it's taking shape it as on the horizon um i think some people are dropping their facade because like there's burnout of people, okay, like we live in mumbo jumbo times and a hallmark of mumbo jumbo times is people playing six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but there's only one degree and Kevin Bacon's whatever you want it to be. Straight white men, Trump, the Third Reich, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, But evidently, I guess all the real Nazis live in America if Twitter's taught me anything. 
anything. And if Twitter's taught me anything, Australian is Russian for gulag. So, like, I think there's, like, burnout and people who can't keep up the snark and the reflexive, hysterical, neurotic, uh, uh, knickers in a bunch, uh, res- like, uh, replies. And I think people are starting to, like, you know, hey, unless, like, uh, unless you're living off of the account, unless you're living off of the interest accrued from an account set up before you were born, chances are you're feeling the tightness of, like, and, and psychic corrosion of economic uh, uncertainty. And, like, like, I live in New York City. Rick Moranis got knocked out in broad daylight last year. Everyone is fair game now. We've gone from cesspool to Singapore in about 25 years, and we're on the way back, baby. So, like, everything is slowly falling apart, like a 17-car pileup in an abandoned Toys R Us. And, like, even the money people put between them themselves and the noise outside, even that doesn't help. Think of, like, people spending $4,000 a month in an apartment and, and last summer and then watching looters get jacked by other looters at gunpoint. I think everyone, like, we're slow. I think everyone is slowly, hopefully, collectively realizing, yeah, things are so terrible outside, and we've been doing nothing but rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, you know? And I think that's where some of the sincerity comes from. So, yeah, I I thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) Well, uh, speaking of the rearranging of the deck chairs, while I have no problem with people... uh, going out to maternal leave, paternal leave, whatever. It's uh, as far as just the visuals go. And again, I'm a big fan of Jessica Deloach. She's going to be here oh with Oh, God, uh, Stix, you're going to post that, are you, Lev? Sticks Hex and Hammer <laughs> 666. Uh, but uh, when it comes to uh, the person she worked for, Pete Buttigieg, you know, right the now... The swing? This, well... <laughs> Oh no, I'm not gonna get into that. Photo. But right now, right now, uh, right now, when it comes to the uh, current crisis, when it comes to the shipping lanes and all that, you know, like you read in the history books about, you know, Teddy Roosevelt who got a bullet in him from an assassin and kept making a speech. We have all these examples of leaders who stood up when times were tough, made sacrifices, yada yada. And again, I have no problem with people taking leaves, but I do wonder in certain situations whether people should kind of sacrifice certain things that they would hold in uh, high regard personally uh, in order to address problems. And it feels just like the mood that I'm getting from the people who are high on up is very different from the Teddy Roosevelt's uh, of uh, yesteryear. At least that's the way that it seems. So I don't know. Am I uh, reading too much that's into like it? That's like one of my favorite Thinkware tweets is um, the picture of like these boomers in a kiddie pool. And it's like the the like kids like looking off like all disappointed. It's like this is the housing market, like <laughs> you know. <laughs> I love that one. That was brute. That was brute. Actually, I'd like to know what Thinkwort's favorite Thinkwort tweet is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. There's um. You ever watched the movie The Rounders? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Line, right? yeah. Uh, there's a there's a good line in there that it's like um, the the real gamblers they never remember the big hands they won, the ones that they always think about are the ones they lost. Uh, the like those those the ones that haunt you is the the tweets you thought were really good, and they just blow up, and those are the ones that occupy got <laughs> the headspace. <laughs> uh, so it's not like uh, you know if it succeeds I don't think about it again. It's the ones like, why did that one not work? Why did that one not work? That should have worked. That should have worked. Uh, those are the ones that I kind of ruminate over and over again in there rather than the ones I thought hit. 
What are some of the ones that you would uh, say you really wanted to work, but for some reason it just didn't catch on? Oh man, I, I had one. You know, uh, those of you who don't know, I post my deleted tweets, the joke tweets on deleted work. So there's think work and there's deleted work, and deleted work mm. is where I'll post these ones that don't make. And I had one this week about the uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse that I thought was really going to make it, and it just didn't. It, it just uh, it, it died badly. Um, but it, it's it's one of those. Another thing, going back to that game idea, is that it all seems to come down to probabilities, right? Okay, I think this this one's got eighty percent chance of working. It doesn't. Or this one has a ten percent chance of working, and it, oh yeah, there it is, uh, and and it doesn't. Work. Um, so there, there. That's kind of what it comes down to, is just kind of the slot machine aspect of it, which is why I think it's it's still kind of compelling to me because I just don't know. I never know if something's going to work or not work. Sometimes I have a good gut feeling about it, but at the end of the day, you post it, it works, it doesn't work, and then you move on to the next thing. I can tell problem with that horseman tweet it's very good but it's too highbrow most too high people brow. just yeah most people do not understand this literary reference this literary <laughs> that was not the case but uh it was i think hl Mencken who said you will never lose money underestimating the public American public yeah. yeah yeah and i spent a lot of time on it too i took the king chinking james and i truncated it so it all the whole book would fit or the whole chapter of revelation would fit into one tweet and cut things out and just just got just right. I mean, I think I downed the character and it didn't work. But you know, I'm not too don't tend to be too sentimental about these tweets that, that work. <laughs> this is a great one too. Entors, half plant, half human. For those who are listening oh, yeah. audio only, it's basically pants that are full of flowers. So I guess people grow flowers inside of these very nice, uh, you know, very juicy looking, uh, very thick looking Jeans, uh, pants yeah. over it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can get why that one didn't work. That one, I yeah, I didn't have, I didn't have a lot of faith in that one. Uh, uh, I was like, okay, all right. Uh, if, if you don't, if you don't mind me asking, um, I've seen, I've scrolled on the timeline, and in real time, I've seen you like delete a tweet that perhaps did not gain as much right. traction as you wanted. And yeah. I'm curious if you have like uh, a set metric you either aim for or like what if it's gaining at a certain speed because. I've seen bangers, and I'm like, oh, I want to. Oh, the tweet has been deleted. Oh. Yeah, and 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 it and, and it'll say like three m, four m. It wasn't even up for five minutes. So like, I'm curious if you expect like the rubber to meet the road out the gate, or like you expect like you know to shift from second to third gear, then it takes off. Like, do you have like uh, uh do you have something in your mind's eye that like a track you want it to go down? Uh, the short answer is yeah, absolutely. Uh, I start a timer as soon as I hit a tweet and I keep track of how many likes and retweets it gets. Mm. And I do kind of a check in about Man. two minutes. I do a check in about five and a half minutes. Uh, and if it doesn't get a retweet at all uh, or more than four likes in two minutes, then I, I, I know it's not going to work. And, and sometimes, you know, but because I use deleted work, then there's a tweet that will delete and it finds a second life on deleted work. So I don't feel too bad, like I'm throwing away stuff. It just goes into that alternate pile. And if it's good, then it'll find its way up uh, anyway uh, through there. Does it but, automatically um, happen, by the way, that it no. deletes uh, and you, no, you have to manually put it I into do it, it manually, yeah. Yeah, I keep track. And, wow. 
Uh, sometimes if I really like a tweet, I'm like, I'm just leaving it. I'm just leaving it. Uh, you guys can suffer through it. Um, but uh, I've actually had to cut back quite a bit because I found I was deleting sometimes up to 80, 85% of my tweets. Oh, and man. It's just, that's too, too discouraging. So I've cut back from about six or seven tweets a day to three. Uh, that's, that's my new goal is about three. Mm. Try to make sure they're pretty good and leave it at that. I'm still working on, I write at least 20, 25 tweets a day. I'm still doing that. I'm just posting less less low probability winners now is what I'm trying to say. It's all very oh, iterative. I, 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 I hope it doesn't ruin the magic for you all, but it's definitely just <laughs> probabilities and what works, what doesn't work. Is this a good quality tweet? Uh, do people like this? Did this work? Uh, everything is is kind of A-B tested, you know. Uh, it's, it's a lot less magical when you put it that way. Man, I just, I tweet what I think. <laughs> I use it as like a stream of consciousness machine or like a sketch before like, well, I treat it like it, like a sketching almost before an article, like I'll write a tweet or a thread. Where well, ZHP here, he's the master of threads. So that's like the end product in itself. But to me, Twitter is almost like to get to something else. But that's like, man, that's cool. That that's a pretty that's a pretty organized way of tweeting. Wow, that's yeah. But I get it. Comes back to the game. It's it's a game for me and. Uh, you know, I'm not playing against anybody. Uh, it's it's just me. When I was a a kid, I would like to didn't have many friends. There was a, a high flat wall by the house, and I would take a soccer ball and I kick against the wall, and I keep track of how many times I kick it without it going away. So, kick the ball once, twice, three times. Okay, it goes once, twice, four times, five times, six times. Now it bounced away, and then I had a little notebook and I wrote down. Okay, I got six. I got seven. I got ten, and keep track of how long, how much I did it. And my ball handling skills got to be pretty good that way. But I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it at 45, except this time it's with tweets. Okay, keep track. Did this work? This did work. This did not work. And move on to the next tweet. And, and um, writing, writing constantly. I, I spend probably three hours a day writing tweets, uh, and then try to fire them off and see what works, see what doesn't work. Wow. Nice. Uh, do you do you think uh, uh, do you think kids these days might be able to benefit from like uh, from such activities where like all right like like um, like I, when you mentioned like hitting a soccer ball against the wall as a kid like I was thinking of like like pretend sword fights with sticks with like other kids in the park like uh, things like that or like how many sticks can I find and bring home and that and I remember it was like okay like. Uh, and they had to be like sword length sticks, yeah. you know? So like, you know, uh, and I never beat my record of 24. And I tried and tried as hard as I could as a kid. I could never beat 24. And like that kind of like that carries over and bleeds out into other aspects of our lives, whether we're aware of it or not, you know? Um, so I, I sometimes wonder if kids these days, because they're already born into this like global algorithm driven marketing and surveillance mind control grid, and like they have a pocket screen with them at all hours, they're not collecting sticks or kicking a soccer ball against the wall. So I think they're lacking something in exchange for lending themselves to this thing that like they probably have an understanding of this technology better than I do or, or any of us do by virtue of age and being born into it. But um, think, or do you think that like kids being kids and that being missing, like, do you think that is affecting them and their approach to like education and life? 
Uh, I mean, I think it definitely has a factor. Um, I think I'm always a little reluctant to say things like today's generation is the worst ever or whatever. Um, I, I know that my generation was often called the worst ever. And uh, well, maybe they're still right. Your generation X, right? Gen X, yes. Yeah, Gen X maybe. Maybe we're the worst. Uh, I do know that I- Wait, I, I thought boomers were the worst. <laughs> yeah, it depends on you, I ask you. Um, it's interesting that we might not have a Gen X president, it occurred to me. Maybe boomer, 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 and then it might jump down a generation and they'll never have been a Gen X president. Oh God, a millennial uh, or a Zoomer president. Right, oh. right. Where, well, where, I mean, where's the, the meteor when you need it? <laughs> the presidents all keep getting older, it seems like. Um, but uh, what was my point? So I, you know, I, I grew up without a TV. My parents were very conservative. So what I did was read books constantly, you know, read a book once or uh, every once or two days, I was reading books and I was out playing. I was out in the forest picking up six. I was miles and miles away from home wandering, uh, taking my bike and, and riding for miles and miles. And I think that is informs a lot of think work, the kind of things that I was reading a lot of as a kid, uh, as a young boy, young teen especially, or all those times I spent out in the wilderness. That, that informs it. I don't think you're going to have quite that same quality in the kid who grew up playing PlayStation uh, four mm. hours a day for his childhood. Well, speaking of video games, you have, for example, something as uh, impressive as Pokemon with the amount of people it was able to reach. And from what I know, the uh, creator of Pokemon, Satoshi Taijiri, spent all of his youth just uh, collecting bugs. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's like you have to take yourself out of this online environment so that you don't create this closed loop system. This is why I'm like concerned about when it comes to if everything's going to be VR, if people are just going to be connected to the grid, how could people make anything? You know, it, it seems, uh, you know, kind of counterintuitive. If on one hand, you have the ability to create anything you want now, you can just put all these pieces together, everything's rendered at an incredible speed. Well, at the same time, it almost seems like when you're in there, there's not as many things that could be extracted from this closed system. And it does feel more closed. It feels like there's less of these websites that kind of do their own thing. Everything's very much constricted into these particular social networks and same thing with culture. So there are like few people out there, like I think zero HP, for instance, you know, you're kind of fighting back against it in your own way, but how many different cultures are there really even on Twitter? Like, can we just list them on, you know, on our fingers, the amount of differentiation? Or am I wrong here? Or like, uh, at least this is the way that it feels. I think there's more than you realize that it's invisible to you because Twitter algorithm is designed to silo everyone off and prevent cross-pollination. It wasn't yeah. always that way. But ever since maybe about 2015, 2016, they've done some kind of network to net analysis, decided like, the preps are going to sit over here. The jocks are going to sit over here. The mean girls are going to sit over there. And uh, and we don't get to change these. It's very hard. Someone every time there is cross tried recently and it didn't go well. <laughs> oh, well every time I there is cross interaction, it's 
terrible usually in what experience. what no geo uh, geo yeah. what are you talking about btr this every is the cross interaction no, every time okay every time like some leftist account finds your twitter or i guess it works the other way too when like people used to go after journalists it's just like the discourse I'm is apparently sure we were tribal. terms of service on twitter because of weihong like before yeah. weihong you quote tweet people innocuously and it was not considered harassment and then at some point his account got too powerful and they actually <laughs> updated their terms of service. I'm quite serious because they were sick <laughs> of people getting a million broke. Like literally all he would do was quote tweet someone and say grandparent. And then they would get <laughs> a thousand replies of broken branches and crying old people. And Twitter decided, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> oh shit. Uh, wow. It you know, uh, if I could just, uh, um, I'd like to, to chime in real quickly on what uh, Zero HP Lovecraft mentioned. Like, like, uh, it, like when Mumbo Jumbo Times kicked off, it wasn't just on Twitter, but like, for example, like around 2015, you click on a video and scroll down, and then you're presented with comments that jive with the sort of opinions you tend to agree with, while making you jump through frustrating hoops of inconvenience to look at all the other discussions taking place, and then like. Because, like, Google and YouTube and, and, like, this sort of strategy has already found its way on every facet of, like, the corporate-controlled internet. So then you, like, let's say you, okay, let's say you click on a video of Geo painting, okay? And then all the comments that are either critical of what Geo hates and then, like, all the stuff that, like, you know, Geo, like, wouldn't jive with. Like, they're either buried or they're not immediately presented to you and, like, that is like sometimes you see like like as zero hp said like now you have like uh whether they're they're aware of it or not like um it, it helps foster people into walking in circles in the desert but from their perspective it's like they're about to cross the horizon over and over so like it's um what weirds me out on twitter is when like someone follows me and it's like this person is not followed by anyone you follow and it's like what abyss did you crawl out of like to find my account you know <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 those are always like the rarest ones you, like you have zero allegiance to anyone i replied to what's your deal but but like this weird islanding off of people like um like even on twitter to find stuff you don't disagree with like if you like if you don't look outside your timeline you're just on this assembly line yeah i mean take for example uh justin <laughs> murphy not the Justin Murphy you're thinking of, but there is another Justin Murphy. Here is his uh, Twitter account over here. So he is a uh, education reporter. He wrote a book on this history of school segregation, husband and uh, dad. So uh, here, let me just make a uh, slightly bigger image here. So I mentioned Justin Murphy because I wanted to do an event called Murphy to Murphy or Justin Murphy to Justin Murphy, where it would have him and the other Justin Murphy that we know and love. And um, he says, uh, not interested and have other things to do. So that was a, you know, that was a real, that was a real sting. You know, that was a real heartbreaker right there because he is not followed or is not following anyone at all within uh, within you know this uh, Twitter sphere over here, and it just makes me it just makes me kind of sad. But anyway, 
My hope, though, is that we are going to have certain people coming on. I was given uh, by uh, Clive, I was given some recommendations for other journalists that could uh, join us for the uh, video game event. And uh, Geo, since you know a little bit more about this, I figure I would just read their names out, you know, just in case um, uh, a spark of inspiration uh, goes into you. Let me know what you think. So, And I actually don't really know who these people are, so I, I look forward to learning more about them. So there's a C Cecilia Danastasio of Wired. Oh, Geo, God. Do you know who she is? Game, yeah, the Gamergate stuff. Next I we think. have... Next we have and Helen Peterson, formerly of BuzzFeed. And uh, last one is Taylor Lorenz. Oh, God. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, I don't, I don't approve of any doctors. So that's out the window right now. Is, is this, is, uh, love, are, are, you, are you deliberately picking guests so like Gio is trying his hardest? Not no, to because he wants, it's like, like a suicide pact. Because then Taylor <laughs> kind of... Lorenz is coming on Break the Rules. Did I hear that correctly? <laughs> No, these are just these are just some no, people. No, Lev will that... like mog her relentlessly till she comes on. Then it'll be like oh, no. no, I wanna no, I honestly I honestly oh. wanna bring I honestly wanna bring people together, like I always say, who never get a chance to speak, much like the conversation was going on here, you know, how rare that is and how BTR is actually doing it where nobody else was able to uh, do it before. So I actually think that there is a good chance to get somebody from that sphere in here and to actually have a decent sit down uh you know soprano style sit down and actually talk about what exactly is going on here you know why is there all this uh, all this divisiveness because at the end of the day i don't know like uh what exactly would they say what what in their minds is this really really bad thing that they're trying to get rid of other than let's say just like some immaturity and some uh you know light-hearted trolling here and there like in their minds from what i understand it's a lot more violent than that it's a lot more uh, s uh mentally scarring than that but i don't know how much of that is a pretense how much of that can actually be justified and again maybe they're completely different maybe they're going to agree with everything that we're going to be talking about in relation to gamergate i don't know but uh zero hp why do you think and in general like the entire panel here what do you think is going on in the minds of people who are from this more professional, uh, uh, woke journalistic sphere? And also to add on top of that, do you think that the economic changes that are going to, well, that are already affecting people, do you think that's going to exacerbate it? What do you think is going to happen with the uh, inflation when it comes to the narrative of a lot of people from that particular uh, sphere of the internet? Well, that's several huge questions. Uh, first, regarding uh, journalists and this sort of professional chattering class, I'm sure you've heard, uh, I think it was a term coined by Steve Saylor, the rebellion or the war of the comments section, where basically the internet has created a space where for the first time ever, journalists and professional opinion makers were able to get reverse feedback from the people they were sending messages to. And it turns out that a lot of those people are smart and the journalists just have a tendency to get owned. Not all the time, there's a lot of people who are really, really stupid too, but it happens and, and they can get ratioed and they can get sort of downloaded to health. They don't like that uh, at all. And I think that the psychology of this type of person is really captured beautifully 
by in an article by one of my friends, the second city bureaucrat. I recently linked that on my Twitter feed and it was posted on apps telegram as well. I can, I get you that link and it describes this figure of the assaulted intellectual. Uh, it's better to just put the article rather than me killing a bunch of air on here, trying to mangle its, its thesis to you. As for inflation, I can't really pretend to have much insight into what's happening there. I have heard it suggested that the COVID lockdowns have less to do with disease and more to do with temporarily shutting down the economy in order to be able to flood it with stimulus in a way that would perhaps dodge hyperinflation. Uh, I, because, because the, the system was already on the brink of collapse in 2019 before the lockdowns, I am not extremely knowledgeable about all of these macroeconomic mathematical models, and I won't pretend that I am. This sounds as plausible as any other theory that I've heard, however. Um, I mean, I I'm no, I'm no, uh, okay, can I, can I just yes. jump in real quickly? All right. So like the negative yield curve at the end of 2019 is proof of what zero HP Lovecraft is saying. China was, China was egressing into a shoddy tier tin pot dictatorship surveillance state because they were bracing for economic collapse. Those at the top realized that decades of uh, squandered resources, uh, courtesy of the, of the CCP, um, had uh, resulted the country in um, expletive deleting the bed because I don't want to curse in front of Finkwood, to be honest. Mm. I, I can't. No, no, it's so no. Sweet. It's not. And no, also, he's, be, I, sure, be, sure to use, be sure to use code hmm. words as well, by the way, when okay, we're speaking okay. about so, the so, uh, Backstreet Boys World Tour. Okay, so, uh, so, so the economy pooed the bed and the CCP was river dancing on it. And then they realized, oh, like, like something, something eventually has to give, which is why they were revert, they were turning into like a, a, a tin pot dictatorship surveillance state. And um, the negative yield curve in the U.S., um, I, I truly believe that countries all around the world were like, all right, uh, this thing is uh, very, very effective against the elderly. And um, uh, we probably don't have enough money to pay out pensions. Think of a country like China, and it's like, hey, uh, if we don't have to pay out the pensions, that money goes back out to us. And like, and then think of Japan, where one out of every five people is 65 and older. And like in Europe, well, they decided to stop having babies in the 70s, and they got to bring in like migrants to stay at the bottom of the pyramid to keep it all going. And like, there just happened to be all these concurrent interests that decided like, all right, like, you know, um, we could either save the economy by burning half of it down or we could just let it disintegrate in real time. All right. Um, so uh, I, I, it has Chinese lung herpes has less to do with actually getting sick and, and dying and more with like immense transfers of wealth and like people getting injected with gene altering mystery fluid and like. Now, if I want to go and grab a drink with my friend, uh, I have to show well, I can't a vaccination. Canada, so. I, I see. No, you can't. No, you can't show no. your ouchie uh, card. That oh hell! And, and, please, and, and, Dane. And, please run YouTube. Remember. Hey, yes. Oh, and and, and if you wanna like, 
I've, it, never in my life have I seen someone's head get kicked in by a cop in the name of public health and safety. But now uh, just look at Australia. Like it's it's so so. So I think the this the restructuring of the economy um, or, or the emerging economies are are um, are set in things that were put into motion as a response to Chinese lumberies. All right. Um, well, I think like to 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 go more to like what we're talking about, uh, it's like what Hulbeck said about um, the whole event, how it's driving a lot of trends that we're already seeing. One of them being this sort of hyper reality of the online world bleeding into people's lives, bleeding into the everyday more and more. It seems that um, more people are accustomed to what things are like being a terminal internet dweller more than ever before. Uh, and I wonder if that is going to like have a dramatic effect on a lot of different things. Um, I mean, everyone in this chat is like a veteran of it, but like for the average person, I don't know. I mean, if they're, if the same rules of engagement of like web 1.1 even apply anymore, because now people are starting to treat things like Twitter as real life. So uh, I don't know, you know. But that goes back to uh, my original question, which is if the economy is going down the pipes right now, what exactly is going to happen? The Great to Depression this, uh... with an internet hookup. Yeah. That's like, well, what, you know. what, what is going to happen to all these things that the uh, pearl clutching or uh, toe tapping, however Sticks likes to call them, you know, the... Uh, um, the uh, bracelet jinglers of the world oh, like what are they know, going to do if, if, i'm sorry for being uh, obnoxious and butting in but i hope to god uh we we get to a point where we could no longer ignore discussing like how everyone is quietly panicking and has the shifty eyes whenever they go whenever they go out uh even for grocery shopping because like all right Identity politics is, is a great way to sublimate time and energy from the left so no existing power structures are threatened, which is why you have multinationals espouse the same things people chant with their stinking breath when they go out and protest before it turns into full-scale riots. Um, so uh, wealth is the one true privilege, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, uh, identity politics does whatever it can to prevent discussing how wealth can buy you privilege and all these other magnificent uh, impacts that wealth and access to wealth can have in someone's life. Alternatively, um, QAnon was like the right wing equivalent of identity politics. And, um, and I think things have to get bad to where like, you can't ignore the writing is on the wall until people start like, you know, discussing, you know, like, I mean, I'm not saying we're going to have another Occupy Wall Street, but look at Occupy Wall Street. Like it was the first thing to ever invoke uh, wealth and income disparity. And then it got infiltrated and subverted. And then the progressive stack happened. And now, unless you're like a club footed uh, disabled refugee from overseas, how dare you speak and have an opinion, get in the back of the line. And that just and that facilitates the deck chair moving song and dance that I was talking about earlier. Like and 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 when this occurs on on, on the hyper reality of, of like Twitter or the inability to distinguish online from off, like it just like it, it we all, it's like a bad um what's the word I'm looking for, uh it's like Groundhog's Day but you never get the good end. 
It's like that. Well, mm. well, when it comes to the progressive stack, I gotta say this is the kind of progressive stack that I think uh, Thinkword would appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> For the audio-only people, there's like puppies that are stacked one one on top of another. They're alive though. They're alive. They're just but, sleeping. But, and they're slowly getting larger as you scroll down. Yes, that is that is very cute. Oh yeah, they are getting larger. Wow, that's crazy. Hmm. But uh, but the progressive stack works when you know even though it was pretty uh, bad during 2000 and uh, well no 2011 it was not as bad as 2007 you know during the recession, but when things actually if things become really really bad, would the progressive stack would that kind of stuff even be able to hold on? You know, it just seems like people would have other priorities well, then. Well, I don't know if anyone remembers, but like last year from March until the passing of George Floyd, there was like a quiet period where it felt entirely absent from online discussion. And there was this feeling of like, wow, only people who could afford to have these politics and views can hold on to them and maintain them. There was like this weird period of like, I remember in March when everything shut down, it was so weird to like walk through blocks of Queens and Brooklyn and Manhattan. And like, I mean like the middle of the street where cars would be like, it, it, you know, like when you play an RPG and you keep expecting like dramatic music to appear and Oh, you got ambushed by ogres or like, you know, in a horror movie, you make a right turn. And now the living impaired are all shuffling towards you. I kept expecting that at every block and every corner. But it was like, I've never seen my city so quiet and desolate. And that was the only time I ever remember all the buzzword, catchphrase, verb, the adjective, noun, song and dance, semantic jujitsu and verbal judo games that people like to play. It didn't exist. And then George Floyd passed away. And uh, it's like someone hit the reset button or someone hit new game plus, you know. So I think... Um, not to be cynical, but like there will always be a distraction on deck, you know, there will mm. always be something uh, that people will obsess over. There will always be something that trends on Twitter that sucks away time and energy from like, wow, anyone notice how bad things are right now, you know? I want to get also a Thinkword's uh, take on this as well. I know the conversation kind of shifted, uh, sh shifted yeah, away let's, here. Yeah, let's go away yeah. from the usual like politics of the day yes. I don't know. there's only so much you could say without total doomer posting i guess but no with kinda... with uh, with the example of think we're once again we're not gonna dox i mean we can't dox uh, because i have no idea where he lives but in general you were mentioning that your college is let's say more of a uh, conservative type would you say that there was more i don't know like a feeling of uh, uh we're all in it together kind of like family related stuff during the whole uh, uh pandemic when it started like what was the environment for you like um, we still had physical classes, even during the worst of it, a lot of separation, um, some Zoom classes. Uh, I never taught on Zoom, um, but I, I think it was, it was mostly kind of a soldier through it kind of thing. Uh, we're pretty much off masks on campus this time around. Um, students can wear them if they want to, but I'd say one out of a hundred students will wear a mask. Most people are, it's mostly back to normal for us today. And, and for the, as far as campus culture, it was kind of um, the thing we went through for one year and, and now we're gonna try to get back to normal. 
And uh, when it comes to learning, like we already talked about uh, the uh, kids in your class, you know, being a good bunch of uh, good bunch of people, no real problems there. But when it comes to the capacity to learn, do you notice any differences at all between just like even the style of learning, the uh, generation, let's say Gen X and uh, Geo? I could hear you typing. So oh between, shit! Sorry. Between, <laughs> between Gen I'm in the X, middle of World War Three out there. To quote oh, Tony Soprano. Between uh, Gen X and uh, well, and the boomers, you know, like uh, your parents and uh, the generations that are in college right now. Man, I wish I had something more profound to say. Um, I, I don't think I've really seen a sea change in the students. Um, I teach a lot of English majors, but I also teach some Gen Ed classes. And it, it does seem that the Gen Ed classes uh, are having a few more students who are not quite college ready. But I think that might be because our college just has kind of lowered some of its standards about who gets in. It's just kind of a local, a local change. But the, my best students are as good as they've ever been uh, and as bright as they've ever been. So uh, I'm fairly optimistic, uh, uh, at least about my little corner of the world. Um, I'm pretty happy with um, the crew that I've got. Do we have anything that we can, let's say, historically compare it to? Like we could say that it's great what's going on right now with you and your students. Is it the historical norm? The particular standards has have the standards risen have the standards fallen when it comes to, I don't know, like the education that George Washington or Thomas Jefferson would have gotten back in the day. Obviously, we find a lot of examples of people who didn't even know how to uh, how to read, you know, back then. So I wouldn't say that I'm looking back at those days as saying like, oh, they were so smart. But then again, it does seem like they had certain qualities of perception that people don't have today. I don't know. It's, it's difficult for me to say. I don't know if we can prove it one way or another. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, again, I don't, I'm afraid I don't have an intelligent uh, opinion on here. Um, I, I, I do worry that my, some of my students are not maybe as self-directed, that um, they need a little more hand-holding than perhaps they did in a previous generation. Uh, or ex expect things to be kind of made explicit in a way I would not know how to do before, or kind of help helplessness and a lack of resilience. But um, I, I wouldn't say it's been so much that I filled with a sense of, boy, uh, the, the future's in trouble. Um, but um, yeah, I, I really don't have many complaints. Well, uh, that's good. I mean, this, I think, is the silver lining that a lot of people are missing. I think it's something that is uh, within any community on Twitter that needs things to complain about. We're always seeking to find out what are the worst things. You know, like you go on 4chan and just like, oh, all this is going on and that and it's all just horrible and terrible. And this is this is good. But do you think that there is something today with people who are seeking out the worst, the ugliest things possible. And there is something like kind of like an addiction that people start getting, which justifies their worldview of seeing, you know, everything in the past being better and everything in the present sucking. Yeah. Um, kind of taking a, a, a little different spin on it. One, one of the things that I, I like to, uh, occasionally I have a, a meme, a self, a self meme that I made up where I'll post two, two contrasting pictures of uh, whimsy Twitter versus politics Twitter. 
Uh, that kind of tends to be the, 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 the two the two big ones. Uh, and and politics Twitter is always uh, crabs in a bucket, pulling each other down, fighting each other, uh, zero sum. Let's just, just, I can't win unless you lose. My tribe has to win. Um, mm. Just, just uh, the, the kind of the a viciousness and pettiness um, of politics Twitter. And so then I'll have the whimsy Twitter. That's the Oasis, the, the breath of fresh air, Mm-hmm. The stuff that's not that. And uh, I think I, I try to get a little bit of that with the, the Thinkwork Twitter, where it's not the, about the vicious uh, battles of the moment, but things that are a little more universal, a little more step back, which isn't to say they're always cute or adorable uh, or twee. I try to avoid being too twee um, in there. Uh, I see some examples there. <laughs> um, so whimsy can be dark sometimes, but uh, that's kind of kind of the, the spirit of what I'm, I'm trying to do uh, uh, against that crab bucket. Um, I, I'd like to say that um, think where uh, you know, like I, I've I've always found it strange how like what Lev mentioned that like always finding the worst and that works both ways and we're like you know always wanting to find the biggest or the best or like but it ends up turning into like the gaudiest, you know. And it's almost like there's no middle ground anymore. And like, you know, like that's like one thing I tweet from time to time is like, uh, like uh, there's a park near where I live and there's like uh, the Hellgates Bridge and the Triborough Bridge. And sometimes you'll get these beautiful views where you see like one bridge behind another off in the distance. And I'll take a picture of that and I'll go, sometimes it's okay. Like it doesn't have to be super hyperkinetic, mega awesome all the time. And it also doesn't have to be doom and gloom everything is on fire no one wakes up and smell the noise like sometimes it has to be okay like if there's no middle ground as like um as a presupposition then like everything is just up in the air and either always awesome or always terrible you know so like you know your twitter seems to come from i don't want to say it, it comes from that place but it seems to like sometimes it's like a reminder it's like you know like i I'm sorry if this sounds corny, Thinkwork, but like sometimes your tweets are like reminders to just breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth for a moment before resuming the scroll, scroll, reply, like, scroll, scroll. I hate that guy. He's wrong and I'll tell him why, you know? Um, so, but, but Lev, like, I'd like to expand. Don't on care, that loser. Yeah, Define and, loser. <laughs> oh, and, 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 and like you mentioned, uh, Thinkwork, like, it, it's like, you know, like victory at the expense of someone else. Like, you know, that weird, like, not to beat a dead horse, but all right, like, long story short, like, I made a flyer out of a tweet. In January 29th, I tweeted, screen cap this, 10 to 15 days world quarantine, major supply line disruption, world recovery in three years. And, like, every once in a while, someone will, like, circle back to that and be like, wow, look at the date. And then sometimes someone will be like, um, actually, the world quarantine happened two months after that, sweetie, you're welcome. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't invalidate every other thing I got right and the reality you're currently living in. And it's just always like this weird cutting off, like, and again, like without, uh, without an okay, without a middle ground, without some zero neutral state, it's always like lavish drooling praise or I hate you and wish the worst on you and yours. There's never, and you could clear, and I think politics put is the best example of that. 
Uh, so ZHP had to go. Thank you, my brother, for coming on. Uh, he had to cut off. Uh, but 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 Lev, you answered. Um, that's <laughs> about education. Sorry, I'm just middle of World War Three out there. Um, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I won the war recently, so don't worry about it online. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask Thinkwert. Um, I guess what Lev a, a more like articulate question, not articulate, a more like new. Um, Wait, what are you saying? A more <laughs> let's a more specific question. Would be, I guess, like the typical um, Harold Bloom Strauss sort of. Our students, if if we run them through the Western canon, and of course, there's a huge debate right now in literature studies of what constitutes the Western canon. But are you of the agreement of like that much older, like Harold Bloom mindset that the Western canon, uh, if students were to be exposed to the classics, that somehow um, are sense of civilization itself could be restored or do you think that um every particular time period has its own like episteme and that these crop of writers and literature that expose particularly english students that it's always going to be subject to change and it sort of maybe it's all right if we give them works of literature that is sort of a more a generous interpretation would be to speak to their like current um their current situation i had friends in lit, in lit studies and uh a lot of books about the 80s and uh stuff like that of one particular crisis uh but so i i wonder though like do we have to like return to the classics or do you think that ship has sailed and that maybe it's good that um we're exposing taught like you know, I I mean, I'll be honest, like being in when I was in politics, um, the classes that came after, uh, my friends would tell me that they would like give them articles uh, from like, you know, vice or whatever to analyze instead of like actual works of literature. Uh, so I don't know, maybe I'm being too generous here. But what, what, what are your thoughts in general, like in just the pedagogy of like what students yeah. are reading? Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's got to be some balance between um, what I'll call the canon, uh, Shakespeare, Faulkner, the best, the best. What, what's the best that's ever been written? And if a student goes through an English degree and has not read the best, the best, then there's something that's happened wrong. That was very, very wrong. Uh, even if it's not familiar, if it's not comfortable, even if it's from a time and a place where they believe things that are kind of icky for us now, you, you got to read it. It's the best of the best. But I also think there's a place for anthropological. Um, I, I tell my literary students, you need to read the King James Bible. I don't care if, if what your religion is, you need to read it because it's it's so key to understanding where literature came from. Well, the Book of Common Prayer is something that every person who's serious about English literature should read because it's so influential, so influential, so deep in the roots. But I think you also want to know uh, you want to read things that are from the subgroups. So a lot of things are from um, minorities that, that are not underrepresented. But also you want to read things that are just what was popular in 1840. What was the number one bestseller? And what does that tell us about it? If this short story is forgotten today, but it was huge then, well, that's interesting. Why was it so big then, but forgotten now? Or why has this 
Herman Melville wrote this obscure Moby Dick, couldn't sell anything, but now it's a canon classic. So why, so I, anyway, I, my overall point is it, you do a disservice to students if it's just the canon. I think you need, you need a little more history. You need a little bit of those background voices. You need a little bit of just anthropology. What was that culture like? What did they read? And if you understand the culture of 1950s, you might understand the culture of 2020 better. Uh, but you also just need to get that canon there. You need the best mm. of the best. And I don't care if you don't like Mark Twain, you need to read Mark Twain. Um, and some of that is, 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 is put in there. And that's always kind of the, the knife edge of what I, I try to do is um, making the students read the stuff that's uncomfortable. But at the same time, if you teach just that top 20 greatest hits of all time, I think you're missing stuff too. There is a uh, there is a quote from uh, hold on, Gio. I just want to give you this quote, and then I'm going to uh, then Gio go for it. I know the gears are the gears are turning, uh, mm -hmm. but here is a quote from uh, Seneca: "A multitude of books only gets in one's way. So if you are unable to read all the books in your possession, you have enough when you have all the books you are able to read." So he leaned on there being far fewer, maybe sometimes even just one book that you would kind of read over and over again and get way more out of it than trying to just read like the entire, you know, the entire list. Do you think that that is something that was ever the case with people? Is this just some uh, fancy thing that Seneca saw as the ideal? Or do you think that actually does change a person when they do stick to, like they could read some stuff on the side, but they still have like a particular book or like a few books that they just stick with and that kind of raises uh raises up their level a bit uh i mean uh, it's it's the coward's answer but it's about a balance right um that that yeah i think a, a life of just reading the same 10 books would be pretty poor but at the same time if reading ten thousand books uh you're you're probably better off reading some of those classics a second time a third time a fourth time a fifth time rather than reading whatever is the top bestseller of the moment uh so i my um, comments from students at the end of the semester, you know, they're anonymous. They tend to say, I think we read too much, which is good. I, I want them complaining about we read too much rather than uh, Professor Thinkware doesn't make us read enough. So um, I, 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 I suppose on the continuum, I'm a little bit towards the let's get sort of a maximal exposure. But yeah, absolutely getting... Uh, um, reading a, a great classic for the fourth, fifth time is probably better than reading whatever is the number one bestseller of the moment. And uh, Gio, I know you, the gears were turning, so... Uh... Oh, no, I, I wanted to, like, a follow-up question would be the, the just, like, what's predominant in terms of, like, writing style in, like, literature today, because, I mean, knowing people that are, like, independent publish like publishers and book people it's like pretty dismal the quote-unquote industry but there's this term that goes around a lot uh what do they call it mafa mfa lit where it's like literature that's like very concise and to the point and a lot of it's like hyper political but it's like kind of written like by grad students for grad students oh god and i wonder <laughs> if that like like there was a bunch of, like in the 2010s um there was like the confessional thing that was really popular, but I guess that's become like too uncomfortable now. It's like a more of a older millennial thing, such as, you know, my generation. But I wonder like, do you, do you see like in 
the actual like literature industry are things changing or is it still like largely grad students writing stuff for other grad students um my big controversial meta opinion is that i think kind of the the culture's juice as in what is where the culture really is putting its energies into the the down the dirty the common thing it's not novels not anymore mm, uh, that's, yeah. that's that it, it it was it was but that's not where it is now that's not movies even uh where is it i mean, I mean youtube TikTok. i don't know i don't know where it's coming from but i think that heyday has come and gone where it's peaked just like we don't have epic poems anymore written for the the in the mode of the iliad or paradise lost its moment is gone um the the uh common kind of sonnet poem that's kind of that's gone oh, yeah. so, so so is the novel it's going um i mean there's still gonna be some good Man. stuff but oh. the peak, the peak is past us, uh, and I mm. don't know what's coming next. There will be something next. It, it, the technology will drive it, and that's what's coming. Uh, 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 again, uh, maybe a controversial opinion for an English professor. Oh, and also, I, I, I know. To, yeah, uh, I'm sorry to to just keep like think we're another question. Think we're another question. I don't mean to like bombard you like this, but like, um, I, I, okay, uh, question. Do you think that uh, even younger generations who had nothing to do with like patty smith's just kids who are like so many generations removed from that or like people looking back at the art and writings of previous eras like granted to some degree they're looking at it through the lens of nostalgia but do you think because the down and gritty and dirty that used to be found in books like all right say what you will about bukowski and being a functional alcoholic he wrote about misery and suffering and the idle and the idle day-to-day -day thoughts of, of the grinding existence of uh, like the hell that is life with no direction you know like uh, he's canceled now stained he's canceled uh yes we're gonna he cancel is problematic. Every, <laughs> we're gonna cancel every dead man tiktok canceled bukowski that's uh, but, but but it's weird because like uh like 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 the the gritty down and dirt like for, I, I guess it was much more common in writing in previous generations but like now, like like Gio said, grad students writing for grad students, like, do you think, I guess my question is this, like, do you think, like, even like, I'm like, I, 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 I all right. Do you think people are looking at um, the books of yore that were gritty and grimy and dirty? Like, do you think people are returning to such art and media and books because like where I live in New York City, we're on the way back to cesspool so maybe some people are subconsciously bracing for like gritty getting screamed at by mentally impaired vagrants and looking both ways before crossing the street in broad daylight like, life in life in hard mode yes like you know uh, what okay let me rephrase this and stop running my mouth like a jerk all right think we're do you think there is a return to even younger people so far removed from like the 70s and 80s reading stuff like just kids by patty smith or like you know um uh the life at like bukowski fictionalizing how messed up his life was do you think that like people like I, do you think there's a like it's it's missing but people want it so because there's no present version of it they're going back 
for older examples of this. Did you think that's yeah, I, I, I could see that. Uh, I, I definitely do think there's something kind of insular about the common or what, what's being written and published um, nowadays. One, one of the things I talk about in my class is that the really the great writers needed to be insider outsiders. And what I mean by that is that they needed to be within the scope uh, and the know of the powers that be, that they knew how to kind of speak their language, but they needed to be outside of it. You could not be in the elite circle and really make something great. You had to be the guy, the Machiavelli on the outside, trying to get back on the inside. And so you wrote something that was ambitious and powerful. Uh, you had to be the Milton who was on the outside trying, you knew the language, you knew the vocabulary, but you weren't part of them. And I think the part of the problem is that the people that are in the power are writing, uh, the people that are in the social graces are writing, and you can't do that. They're insiders. They're well, what about insiders. A, what about somebody like Leo Tolstoy? He came from an aristocratic family. You could say that he was still among the nobility. So yeah. would he be an exception? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure there are exceptions. Um, but like, like you take a look at the British romantics, uh, who was big with them? They were all insider outsiders. They're all guys from outside of London. Um, the uh, William Blake was just an engraver. These guys were not in the echelons, the top, the top. And there have been some cases, hmm. but I think you, get, you you need to have that that knife's edge of balance of, I know the language, I know the vocabulary, I know how they think, I know how to get in their graces, but I'm on the outside. And so I've got to try to push and pull and bring in something from the outside into that world in order to really make something. And those hmm. are the guys that tend to last. Those are yeah, the guys that tend to break through. Weren't a lot of them like embarrassed aristocrats? Like they sort of lost their grip, like Bishelli or temporary, Byron. temporary embarrassed Byron. millionaires. Yeah, yeah, like Byron, he was like an embarrassment to the aristocracy for a while, if I recall. So yeah, I, he was he was definitely an outsider, uh, a fringe of the fringe uh, for them, even though he came from hmm. some kind of privilege and, and yeah. he grew up. He grew up really, really poor. He kind of just kind of uh, a few convenient deaths happened. And he got his title at the end. So he never, he did not grow up on the insides. He kind of found himself on the inside suddenly, but he still had that outsider point of view. I'd say. That was like Caesar, if I recall, his family was noble, but yet he mm -hmm. grew up in poverty or in the sort of gentry class. Well, but it's Caesar, I, Caesar also used to love wearing all these robes. Yeah. Like that was kind of like the gangsta style of the time. Just like these long flowing robes, kind of like the saggy, saggy yeah, they pants had their of the own day. Signifier. But it's funny, like I tweeted the other day, um, I think it was Michael Millerman professor that asked, because um, that god awful Anthony Fantano tweet came up, um, but what is the nature of art? And I said, well, good art is very similar to what you said, think where it, like, it's produced in the condition of being within the sort of, um, how shall I say in like the new sphere of a particular civilization, but it has to stand outside of it or it has to be, um, it can sort of give a space almost like the way that the shaman was formulated by various ethnographers is like being like allowed to like step behind the fabric or the curtain of a particular society while still like being a part of it. Because I think like the outsider rebel is sort of like a, modernist pastiche that has been with us since like very recently mm. at least like maybe 19th 20th century um the role of the artist was much 
or the writer was much different than what like most people believe in sort of like mm. a pop culture like total outsider um a rebel without a cause sort of thing you know but by the way we have a comment we have a comment from franz who says byron did not grow up poor so let's see oh. yeah I'm, uh, yeah i'm sorry if i could just chime in real quickly i'm sorry to keep beating this dead horse about Bukowski. The, the, the really... horse the horse is probably right now just like powder right now you're just taking the powder the horse and is like just... piomai right now it's been <laughs> the, horse, the horse the horse has been beaten into a trillion single cell organisms okay it's it's because like you know like Bukowski is really inspiring to me because like he was all right like it's easy that's not to... a good thing stain no, i don't no, think no, that's no, no, a very no. <laughs> he's inspires you not, not in the sense that he was a functional alcoholic just that, like, yeah, it's easy to write him off as like some. Well, he was hound. a Chad, though. He was a Chad. Yeah, That's and true. and like, and his uh, his ex girlfriends and his ex wife talk about how like no one ever brings up that he used to spend eight, ten, twelve hours a day in front of the the typewriter, um, and mm. and like, and he had no formal education, but like, all right, to me, this is the mark of a true artist. Bukowski never. I never met Bukowski. He died when I was a kid. And he wrote a poem called The Laughing Heart. And the first time I read that poem, I cried because it spoke to something that I could not articulate but knew to be true. And I feel that, you know, perhaps that is the mark of an art of a, of a true quote unquote mark of an artist when they could put something out there that outlasts them and a stranger could walk up to it and look at it and go, that's exactly what it's like, you know? And, and on top of that, like he... Um, he, he, he once said in an interview that like young hotshots who get famous on their first book, they end up going to these like cocktail parties where they, it's all empty cotton talk. And then all they write is empty cotton talk. And he's like, you know, like they're, they're only, they're writing to the people they're around. And Bukowski was like, you know, that's why I got so much material. I lived a crappy life and like, I hate to admit it, but like. All right, like I worked at a pizzeria for four and a half years when I was going to school uh, nights and weekends. I saw things and did things in that pizzeria no writer's <laughs> room could ever come up with, okay? And and I believe Thomas Wolfe has a point. Everyone has a story to tell, you know? But I think, like, the weird, pampered writing to who you're around in clinking cocktail glasses, like, you know, like, I, I think writing has become so far removed from everyday life at this point. Like there's, there are barely any like, because of course no one wants to watch a movie about a guy sitting at the edge of his bed with his face in his hands, struggling how to pay the bills. No one wants to watch. There are movie. some movies like that though, and some of them are mm. quite interesting. But those are like indie, yeah. like very few people have. Right. Well, yeah. you could, you could say we had something again back to Tolstoy. We had something like War and Peace, where there was uh, more of an emphasis on what uh, the uh, higher echelon of society was going through. But back in the day, they actually had to go through something very uh, substantial. You know, there were a lot of uh, problems that they were faced with. You know, one of them ended up in uh, Russia when it was taken over by the French and tortured and all kinds of uh, horrible stuff. So I guess it's like if we don't have that kind of pressure to fight against, then there's not really going to be that much to create unless we kind of create 
their own internal pressure. Maybe that's why there's such a focus on mental health today on a lot of Twitter accounts, because they're trying to kind of like, that is that is where the pain and suffering is coming from. But there was a period, correct me if I'm wrong, Thinkworth, there was a period in the uh, 18th century when life was not as bad for a lot of the well-off people, yet a lot of people ended up buying the farm, you know, doing themselves in because of boredom, because of, I don't know, like, there was a term for that. I don't remember what the term was. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I'm not familiar with that, no. Ennui? Maybe. I'm not sure. Maybe you're right, Gio. Malaise? Malaise, Uh, yes. Yeah, ennui. That's the, yeah. So what exactly was that, Gio? Ennui is like, um sort of like listlessness and dissatisfaction with uh, the current order of things. Feeling of listlessness, dissatisfaction will rise among, oh wow, the dictionary, I memorized it. Lack of occupation or excitement in life. He succumbed to ennui and despair. Um, so yeah, that, yeah, well, I, I, doesn't that was that like speak the 18th a century, bit? the 19th century decadent, like Lutrec paintings mm. type steel. But doesn't an aspect of that also speak to what's going on right now on the internet? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, well, you know, if I could, um, this is something I'd like to ask uh, um because, you know, the, the, the rise in people discussing mental health, uh, I could be wrong, all right? But, like, Thinkwort has been on this planet longer than, than any one of us, so, you know, his perspective is grounded in what he's seen and lived and witnessed, all right? And thus, respect your elders or else, all right? Um, what are you saying about so, Thinkwort's age, so, Stan Haynes? Oh, because because you're saying he, he was made before the light bulb, like Feech Lamont. No, That's well, three well, Sopranos references this episode. <laughs> Holy crap! It's, it's just that, like you know, like he was made work, before the light bulb. <laughs> Thinkwork th- th- had a front row seat to watching people go from like living life to living life permanently. See, you got your screen right there. You're in front of a screen, and you picked up a smaller screen. You see, Geo. That's the point I'm trying to make. Like. Think, do you think that the rise in people having mental health issues has to do with like being bombarded by screens all the time and how like there's no peace and quiet anymore and how like people by default can't sit still for five minutes without like, like hell, people eat while scrolling crap on their phone. People take their phone with them to the bathroom. People and like, you know what? Like, like, like I believe, <laughs> I believe that like, you know when when we have those aha moments and something bubbles up from the subconscious and you could call it an epiphany or or whatever like you need the brain needs peace and quiet for the subconscious to manifest and push through and without that peace and quiet we're just running off of like base level you know brain activity where like people Hell, people want to achieve inner peace and meditate but they can't eat without looking at their phone you know do you think the rise in mental health and discussion of mental health. Do you think one reason for this is because we're all permanently plugged into this thing, whether we like it or not? Yeah, I, I'm hesitant because I, I certainly have no expertise in this area. Um, I definitely like that when I have to wait for my wife when she's shopping, I have my phone on me. <laughs> Whereas in generations past, I would just have to sit there and wait and stare at the sky. Um, but you, you wonder how you can have a society in which people are looking at a screen constantly from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. And it doesn't affect things. Uh, I think it has to have some effect. Uh, how and, and how pernicious and 
how damaging and what to do about it, I don't know, but it seems to think that you can't have such a society-wide change without there being some kind of consequence to it uh, in the long run. Um, again, I don't want to have to give up my phone, but uh, I, I could definitely uh, see that it could have some repercussions, yeah. Well, before uh, you were talking about, uh, actually speaking of novels, since novels were mentioned before, I just wanted to quickly read, this is from uh, the uh, Napoleon book that I, uh, that I uh, sent to Gio as a present. So it says over here, Napoleon asked his savants to give lectures for his officers on deck during the voyage. This was the one to uh, Egypt. In one, Junot snored so loudly that Napoleon had him woken up and excused. He later discovered from his librarian that senior officers were mostly reading novels. They had started out gambling until everyone's money soon found itself in a few pockets, never to come out again. He pronounced that novels were for ladies' maids and ordered the librarian only give them history books. Men should read nothing else. Uh, he was apparently Based. overlooking. He was apparently overlooking the forty novels, including English ones and French translation. He himself had uh, brought out. So there we go. A little bit of a, a hypocritical uh, part here. But in general, during that period, novels were pretty popular. But I wonder if there could be, like you were talking about, an idea of what was popular during certain epochs. Would you still say that whatever was popular was still of a higher standard than just some TikTok booty dance or whatever that people are watching right now? Or would you say that it's always been the case that, like, the crapalicious stuff was always the stuff that was the most popular among the masses? The reason why I'm asking is I'm still trying to gauge were the masses, you know, quote unquote, the masses, you know, like the majority of people, were the majority of people always kind of at the same level regardless, or were there times where, let's say, maybe not the majority, but like the middle class was more educated, was more well-read, and is that part kind of going downhill, and how do we know that that's the case? I, I tend to be a little suspicious about narratives of the decline, not to say that there aren't, um, but they, they tend to be a little bit too convenient for people who are nostalgic for a certain past. Certainly there's a winnowing that uh, it, there's a lot of junk that was written in the 1700s that has not survived. And what survived tends to be generally better than what didn't survive. Uh, if you were to take a look at what TikToks people are still watching five years from now, probably a better sense of what was the really good TikToks and not just the ones of the moment. Um, but I, as far as eras being better or not, uh, it does seem that there's moments in time where you have a collection of geniuses, a collection of something that's really special. In a certain place at a certain time, um, you think of, um, oh, uh, Milan with, with uh, is it Milan? Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo and, um, or London around 1600 uh, with Marlowe and Shakespeare. There's just these tiny little moments at certain localities with little explosions of creativity, amazing things that happen. Uh, and it'd be interesting to think about where, where that would happen next. Where in the world is that next explosion of creative genius is gonna come from, um, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried that like, I think some people 
prepare themselves as if like they're expecting to be in that explosion when they have their creative output and like i'll give you an example like um um i was hanging out uh with a cousin of mine who's younger and he talked about how like people leave the house like he's he's like 22 years old and he's like people leave the house in like every day in such elaborate outfits oh just in case someone sees me in public and takes my picture and i get famous on instagram it's like that's a weird thing to center your outfit around every day you leave the house and i think some people put things out there expecting like this is gonna get me famous and it's like nah you, you like like i like presumably you have to hack away at this and fail a few times and get like the bejesus kicked out of you until you finally get your art form together and you can like um execute all right but i think but but like in, in regards to that um in regards to that like uh small explosion excuse me for using such an example but like take ghostbusters it was lightning in a bottle like like the the right cast the right director the right script and mm. like the chemistry every time someone went action you know? We are, of course, talking about the 2016 one. I I demand satisfaction, and we're going to settle this with pistols when the stream is done, Lev. Okay, um, but but like, but but like, obviously that or, or like the thing by John Carpenter, like it has endured so long, and it's considered by some to be the greatest horror movie of all time, even though when it first came out, it, it flopped. You know, um, so so I think you know, like I think, or do, do you think uh, that like? Part of the reason there's such an abundance in mediocrity is because, like, artists out the gate, it, it's kind of like it's so a democratization artists, of art, in my opinion, as controversial you. as it is. And, and also, is more mediocre. Thank you and, and also, since you mentioned the thing, I just wanted to uh, shout out ThinkWorks tweet. <laughs> You're oh, the I thing, Charlie tweet. Brown. Yes, that's exactly why I brought it up. Okay. <laughs> oh. I, I just think that, like, okay, thank you, Gio, because I'm not good word talk expressed. Well, thing it's not just brain. it's not just the mediocrity. I think of like the democratization of art in that everyone can become one and post online. I think that it's because Instagram is like the worst, and you know, only using Instagram for art posting, mm. uh, so I can one day grift and uh, sell some things. Finally, well, uh, it well, seems well, like there's sub you're subject to like the metrics of what people find appealing, which usually like degrades into catch either through like in terms of literature, or in terms of mm. like visual art, because it's like, what are people going to read? Are they going to read an actual novel by uh, some like undiscovered um, like? the second coming of Norman Mailer, or are they going to read like Rupi core that has like a very punchy, Oh God, I use the worst example, but you know, what, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the algorithm in some ways determines the quality, quote unquote quality mm. of the work well, because Phil it's Phillip, much easier uh, that way. Philip Daniel had a good comment here. Uh, used to be that every middle-class woman learned piano and that bourgeois well, true. households would entertain themselves by playing chamber music and singing art songs that mostly ended after World War One. Now, mm. again, I can't, I can't go back in time and know if that was exactly the case, but if that, let's say, was the case, I bet that that would have some kind of a positive effect just on how a person thinks when that's something that they're kind of forced to be exposed to because they don't have a smartphone. I don't know, like, that may factor into, let's say, why. I mean, this is just like a wild guess, 
Maybe that's why we look back at the 20th century and look at all these brilliant people that have existed, you know, including Albert Einstein uh, and Marilyn Monroe, you know, let's not forget her either. But it's like, you know, like we have examples that we look at and we say, man, like these are like all these historical figures. What happened to them? Why aren't they around today? And again, this could just be complete ignorance on our part, living at a time when we don't actually know who the people are who are going to be read about in the future. But then again, part of me thinks that maybe there aren't that many people because Albert Einstein was known during his time. It wasn't like nobody knew about the guy. And then after he passed away, he became this, you know, uh, big celebrity. I don't see that much of those kind of, you know, titans of uh, industry, art, literature, whatever, existing today, even though I'm sure that they're out there, it doesn't seem, maybe it's because it's so fragmented, it just doesn't seem to be as uh, prevalent in uh, the uh, mainstream consciousness. Yes. Uh, no, I... <laughs> no. Um, all right. I think, well, well in terms of... Um... Things entering the mainstream conscience, I think, I, I, I think, well, to touch on what Zero HP Lovecraft had mentioned earlier and what I'm, I tried to haphazardly unpack, I think, like, you know, it takes a lot of effort not to be, like, marooned on this digital island that is, that is uh, built on what you like and what you click and what you buy. And it's also built on getting ads for things you were talking about with your friends in the comfort of your own home. So then now, like, you know, Lev is all like, ah, buy my NFTs. And now, like, you're getting ads yeah. for drawing pads for PCs. And like, you know, hey, Lev, here's some email spam about, like, super rare, you know? Levcarts.com, so, superrare.com, slash Lev Polyakov. Okay, invest I got, in Lev. Invest in Lev. I got to start I gotta start sending these out. They're going to do some Halloween-themed stuff. I got to get on this real quick. We just moved, so uh, there's a lot of stuff that I got to do here. But anyway. Oh, uh, 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 so, so just real quickly, uh, things entering the collective um, subconscious. I think uh, like things have gotten so fragmented. It, like, uh, um, I think that you have to sort of carve your own audience out. And unless you're propped up or backed by some institution, uh, the positive side of the, the, of the democratization, I probably messed that up. Feel free to point and laugh, Geo. Uh, uh, that that like like I think that more subtle... more like a, more like democratization. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's that like yeah. Despite all the doom and gloom, listen. Despite all the democracy. We we could democracy. That was a good job for the cowboy album. That was a really good album. I, I think that like you know like as long as you're not like as long as there is weight to what you put out there like online like take Twitter. If there is weight and if you have consistency, like, and hopefully this bleeds out to other things like music and like film or whatever, but like, you know, the internet has sort of like removed the middleman and the barrier of entry where like, if what you do has weight and what it's good, people will mess with it and people will keep returning to whatever it is you're putting out there. And in fact, I think like the unspoken rule is that like, if you have 10,000 followers on Twitter, you could self-publish a book. And have enough people that like like your stuff that it'll kind of like stay afloat by virtue of mm. like your audience and your like you know the the, the auditorium that follows you wherever you go. Yes, so, when you like, promote it on Lit, they kick you out. Yeah, 
Ah, uh, love looking into the camera. Everything <laughs> I need to know about that. Um, but but no, I think you know. Like, well, I mean, for all the bad things, hell, for all the bad things, you could talk about Twitter. It's how like we all got here on this call and on the stream. You know, so like I think the removal of the barrier to entry, like I think it makes it easier to find like a niche death metal, uh, small tiny community as opposed to like a, an arena rock community. I think like the literary and artistic versions of like arena rock are on the decline and like they're going to go the way of the dinosaur. And I think now it's just going to be like, you know, like I like the New York Times literary review is just going to be like, um, self-indulgent tripe and lowest common denominator telling you things you already know so you could go i really identify with this author so much and i think now it's like you know there's going to be like sub stacks and like mm. and like what thinkward had mentioned earlier like you know like youtube is now like a way for people to like get their like artistic message or like their perspective across so like you know i think the de the democratization a point and lap, all right, joke of people, all right. Me no speaking. No, but English I think, good. like, maybe it's and this could be because I think where you have to go soon. But I guess last we could talk about how um, the nature of literature has changed in itself, and that um, it's like I mean, literature has conformed to people's prejudices from time immemorial. But I think that nowadays, um, it's almost like a demand that literature has to conform to um some form of like enforced consensus but not just like the usual like politics of it but even beyond that i think when it comes to uh it's like what scorsese said about like cape shit films that it's like become an amusement park i think like literature has to in a way become an amusement park not just politically like to conform to whatever like sgw standard there is but like on a deeper level, I think that literature's coming out. Uh, it's not really like challenging to this modern subject, but it has to like satiate us in the way that like playing certain like mainstream studio video games does, or like watching a Marvel movie does. If that makes sense, it goes even beyond politics to the like base like culture industry deduction of like you know if Rupi Kaur talks about whatever then. Oh, sorry, my thing fell. What do you do? Oh yeah, he's my old man's got to bring in the cat food because we, for those who don't know, we got a new cat recently from a, and I she's kind of skittish, so you know I have to mm. keep her in my room for a little bit. When, um, are, when are we gonna do the Israel debate stream with you and your? I dad? don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm. Hey, hey does Gio's that make dad. sense? Think where is it, like what I'm saying? He can't uh, hear you because I have headphones. I've, I've never actually uh, <laughs> no. uh, spoken to him on camera, so just uh, say hi uh, from Lev. And, oh, he's uh, gonna go. Yeah, I'll say hi. All right. Um, but yeah, so if that makes sense, like it seems that the novel, or rather, like the novel is dying, um, but I guess literature itself becomes another amusement park of the mind. I don't know. Maybe that's just too cynical, but yeah. I mean, uh, again, we don't. It's, it's one of those things that the winning of time is going to tell us if those MFA kind of novels will persist in 10, 20 years or they'll just curiosities. I do know that sometimes we get those people who workshop things. They write so that the people who, that first audience 
will not get mad at them and be kind of happy. Uh, you know, mm. not maybe super ecstatic, but at least mildly happy. And so you you are playing it very safe in a very narrow kind of range because you don't want to offend any of the 20 very hypercritical people who are first reading your novel. And so that limits what you're writing about and writing's kind of, you get a little more solipsistic, a little more opaque so that you don't have any surface area for people to attack. And I think that might lend itself to very safe, bland, inter uninteresting novels. But uh, again, I, I, I think I wouldn't say go so far as saying it would never be possible to produce something great from that. Uh, that just tends to be the errors they tend to fall for. Mm. That was really well said. And by the way, speaking of writing, you have a, a sub stack as well, and you make games on the sub stack, which is not something that I was, uh, uh, I ever thought sub stack could be used for. Could you tell us a little bit about well, what these games are? Yeah, they're, they're actually tweet games. They're, they're games of tweets that are chained together. I use sub stack to share and kind of post them. Uh, I don't, uh, no one pays, pays me anything for those tweets. Uh, it's something I did a lot more last year. I think I've only had four tweet games this year. But uh, like the last one I did was called The Present, uh, a puzzler where it's only 170 tweets, but I've had some games that are close to a thousand tweets where you make choices. Wow. So click click on this if you wanna mm -hmm. open the door, or click on this if you wanna look at the ceiling. So kind of those old school uh, text-based games, I try to reproduce that with just tweets. And it's very tedious, I think. Uh, the big one took me about six weeks three or four hours every day and uh, finally got that together, posted that and it really didn't do that great, but I, I still like them. I still enjoy doing them. This last one, I, I took a break from Twitter for about 10 days and I spent most of it writing the present, uh, this puzzler that I wrote. Um, if you do a search for chain tweets, I think it'll come up. Um, because I, I put the, the mm. title in a different... So I put in there a uh, squirrel squirrel ball over here. We got squirrel this, ball, uh, yeah. this cute squirrel. By the way, actually, I was also wondering regarding the uh, reusing of memes and stuff like that. Where do you get a lot of your uh, content from? Is it kind of like all over the place? And have you ever had, let's say, somebody uh, saying like, hey, this is my photo or anything like that? Like has that ever been an issue? I mean, usually on Twitter, it's not unless you get it from somebody in Japan. In Japan, they seem to really be uh, very strict about that for some reason. Uh, if I use an artwork, like a, like a painting or like a really Photoshopped, I try really hard to give it a citation. Uh, a lot of the photos are kind of the stream of the mass media memes. You know, just a random photo. Uh, not really. And I don't usually have people come up to me and say, hey, that's my photo give me some credit for it, unless it's of a particular person, right? If it's a photo of a person mm. who wants something. Um, and I'm always happy to say, okay, so yeah, this is, they made this photo here, happy, um, happy to credit it. But I generally don't do that. Um, there and, is, and what about the memes uh, themselves? Like, do you get them from Instagram, from Facebook, from just like all over the place? Is there a specific place you'd recommend if we want to find some good memes? From memes, uh, I mean, just Twitter, Twitter meme sphere, I guess. I don't really have a specific one. I tend to try to make my own jokes rather than kind of snow clone off of a current meme. Although I had one mm. last night that's that was a meme uh, about the, the dinosaur sign. It's a snow clone based off an old meme. 
of old tweet. Um, my sign is asking a lot of questions already answered by the sign. Uh, I think it was the tweet that I posted last night. Uh, but generally, no, I try to kind of do my own stuff um, and not just rely on the same well-trod ground. Uh, that can, tends to be kind of boring if you just ape the same memes over and over again. Not that I'm above it. I'll do it sometimes. But uh, yeah, I do better when it's kind of trying to create my own thing. And there was also a, a 199th super chat from Lisa Bode, Thinkword. What are your pronouns? Uh, he, him, I guess. There we are. So uh, thank you so much, Thinkword, for coming in. I really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciate all the things that you are doing on Twitter. We need more levity in this world. We need, uh, I mean, we need more love love it in this world but we also oh my need... god <laughs> but we <Stop>. also <laughs> yeah well this is this is why it resonates quote, so to much to quote ralph Cifferato, i'm trying to i'm trying to give some fucking levity in this situation and <laughs> also <laughs> number four uh, and also uh, i want to i want to do a shout out four. to uh ne nemal cutie who i nemal think cutie. also yeah, also resonates with uh, your kind of energy. Who came first, by the way? Were you on Twitter before Namal Cutie? I, I, I believe Namal uh, predates me and is frankly mm. much better than I am. So oh, uh, Namal is on, eternal. Man. That's Poppycock. why. Poppycock, poppycock. Um, uh, uh, but before, but before we all disperse, um, think we're, I remember you once tweeted something to the effect of like, uh, like an "ask me anything," and uh, I, I. Uh, I asked you how how you met your wife and 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 how how you came to be uh, a, a family man where you find yourself now and you and I'm probably butchering this but you said something to the effect of like you focused on yourself and you improved on yourself and you worked on yourself and you know you you tried to actualize the things you thought about and worked on and um, that that meant that meant a lot to read and. Um, that's something I don't think a lot of people, men in particular, hear enough. And um, that, it still leaves an impression on me. So I just want to say thank you. Um, sure. and, yeah. Great. Um, and oh, and one time you posted a picture of yourself when you were a young man and you legit looked like a troublemaker with his back against the wall at like a Fear Factory concert. You <laughs> look you looked like trouble, you looked like Gen X trouble as a young man. And it reminded me of like my cousins and like that, that I still think is hilarious. So no, I was thor thoroughly nerdy. I was not trouble. At all. <laughs> <laughs> you, you look like a young John Swartzwelder without the mustache, but with a, what are you looking at? Like look, look on your face. <laughs> but just, I, th I think it's just the gen X energy that <laughs> even the nerds back then, you know, had, had it. So <laughs> um, I just, um, Thank you for being you, man. Uh, and I'm 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 beyond fortunate. We crossed paths uh, uh, from the tournament of anything fist philosopher held before yeah, the yeah. before the world went sideways. That put me in touch with like a bunch of people that like, for lack of a better term, it's raised the quality of my life. So thank you for being you. Dude. Sure, thank you. Uh, we have a great comment from uh, Bulat Usmanov who says, throughout this stream, I have learned that it's okay to be over 30. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
that should be like the new uh the new sign you know on the white paper it's okay to be <laughs> okay yeah. so I, i'm just gonna i'll make a flyer of that start putting it around <laughs> my city it's okay to be 30 so there we go guys before we leave once again the promotions so uh we got over here twitter.com slash 718 tv follow stained haynes buy his shirt at queenstrash.com that's right spasiba uh for the best for the best public access television in the 21st century come on down to youtube.com slash 718 tv you could find my masked, mildly obnoxious, uncultured ass talking about things I have no frame of reference on mm. at twitter.com slash 718TV. And well, reminder, uh, the, the, the flyer to shirt pipeline is real, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Well, speaking of, uh, speaking of asses, there is definitely a lot of those on queenstrash.com. Who are those women? Do you know those women? Can we get them on the stream? Can we get them, can, can we get them to my estate? Can we bring them to my estate? Well, uh, to, in, in, the true, in the true believers section, in the gallery of uh, people who took pictures of themselves uh, wearing my shirts, uh, both of those ladies I could probably get on Break the Rules. One is a gas station oh, goth. One is gas station, gas station goth, goth, and the other is um, expletive deleted jihad. Uh, it is uh, a word for female anatomy. I'm not saying on stream because uh, uh, Bing uh. is, is making me already regret saying the word ass earlier. Um, uh, but but um, uh, both of them, uh, I could I could hit them up for them to be on stream. The, the 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 buxom ladies that you speak of that look like they came out of an '80s like car poster. Uh, you'd have to speak to their booking agent. I'm sorry, <laughs> and uh, there was interrupt, but I have got to run. Well, uh, Thinkword, just about up. Please, please follow you, Thinkword think on Twitter. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, have think a great word. day, man. Great Thank pleasure. You. Great pleasure Thank to you, have you friend. on. Bye. Bye bye. So there was a uh, one final thing that I wanted to. Okay, seven one eight TV. Uh, Stane Haynes, did you disable right clicking on your site? What the fuck? Oh, oh! You mean on the pictures on the yes, gallery? Yes. Oh, you know, yes. You have to do it the old-fashioned way and uh, control print screen and open it up in MS that's, Paint. Yes, that's exactly oh, what God. I did because <laughs> I believe I have found. I believe I have found the uh, horse that you were beating, the dead horse that you were beating. Here, here it is. <laughs> I'd like. Uh, wearing like, the re respect troops oh, shirt as a matter of fact okay so so quick little story uh about that shirt um a business partner and friend of mine a gentleman by the name of grip shop who i believe was on the stream shout um, out to grip shop uh respect the grift go to grift.shop and um it, he had a chris dorner shirt like like this but it had like the american flag in the background mm. and it said is that, is that the one that is that the one that uh, uh frank hassel was wearing yes Yes. Now, what happened was excellent. I eagleized Polyakov. So um, the the drop shipping company Griff uses took the shirt down, saying uh, this individual incites violence and blah blah blah. So uh, Griff and I were talking, and we kind of came to the conclusion: I screen print my stuff. You <laughs> don't <weird>. touch. <laughs> you, you don't. You don't touch any of your merch. How about this? Like, no drop shipping. No censorship, no problem. I'll make the shirt. And that's how that shirt came into existence. Um, and uh, that horse is a dying and rising god, so I will beat it until I continue to draw breath left. 
Well, I was thinking you could beat it till it's powder, and then you could snort the powder, and maybe that's going to be what's going to protect you from the uh, Backstreet Boys World Tour. That's the real. <laughs> that's the real cure right there. So, uh, Mr. Hands Powder. <laughs> Mr. Hands Pills. Literally, it'll be coming out with Mr. Hands Pills. And oh, uh, we also have a super chat from Tux. They did have Lo- testosterone that came from horse. I remember uh, a buddy that was a, a gym rat. We used he used to call them horses. Because uh, the I think it was a tremble only get from horses I forget. Yeah, well that's uh, quite a workout that Mr. Hands had. But uh, Tux loves you. Five dollars super chat. Oh my Sneed, god! And he says Sneed those super chats. That's right, people. Even though we're going to be ending this stream right now, we are going to have a lot of great streams coming up. Uh, I have finally moved. There's a lot of stuff here that has to be done. But as you can see, the internet's great. Looking out, seeing uh, you know the birds uh, chirping, and it's all good. Uh, okay, oh, so, and, so, and let me know where I'm sending these shirts, Lev. Yes, please, I, 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 I shall. And uh, also, uh, future of dating Tuesday, October 26th. So we have a uh, Steve Dean, uh, who uh, at whose party I originally met Jules at, and he's coming in. He is in uh, polyamory, and we should also be having a default friend coming in for that one as well future of dating tuesday october 26th and then there should be a special event for thursday october 28th we need, we need uh, like someone to balance that panel we need like i don't know trad incel uh i don't know <laughs> trad incel arranged marriage griper Oh, 1488 man. or something i don't know maybe we'll <laughs> see and then we have um okay i'm not gonna say thursday october 28th yet uh we'll see what happens november 20 november 2 video game culture i'm gonna try to make this one happen so okay so not lorenz lorenz is out but uh the other the other two people uh you you, would... you couldn't get lorenz if you tried though it came to talking about gamergate that's the problem you would it would be like <laughs> oh I have to. She's gotta. She's gotta get used to us. So, um, I would love to get a Noah Noah so Hugbot. I would love yeah, to get we a named Noah Gertrude Hugbot. after the saint of uh, protector of cats, mm. but um, not after Gertrude Stein. Oh, that could work too. But no, she's a bit scared. She's uh, my old. One of my old man's workers had a litter, so um, we just wanted a playmate for uh, Hildy since Benito passed. But she's actually quite fucking vicious with Hildy. She like growls at it. So we gotta find a way, like we're gonna research like uh how to like get the cats like, you know, to become more friendly. Cause like Hildy tries to play with her, but then she just goes like <laughs> she's not used to don't do Richard. <laughs> Oh, so cute. I'm holding her because the door is open. I gotta go close it, love. So yeah. So and then Thursday, November twenty four. Uh, sorry, November four. Mary Harrington. Finally, we're gonna have Mary Harrington nice. on. And then we are going to have Tuesday, November nine. Jessica Deloach, who worked for Pete Buttigieg together with Sticks Hexenhammer six six six, talking about the Democratic Party. That is going to be a hell of an episode. I am very excited about that. And. uh we are is it, to, isn't yeah. sticks debating fuentes or something about yeah. china yeah what the fuck does he know like fuentes no never mind i'm not i promised people i wasn't gonna but i don't, I don't know, know that maybe, seems maybe weird i mean a, he could have debated hayes or uh i don't know who is like a hardcore maoist like uh other than logo uh yeah um 
Oh, Jason Unruh. We should get you. You know, if we get Jason Unruh, I could just drive to Niagara Falls and like do it live with him. That'd be and pretty We'll do it live. We'll do it live. <laughs> Fuck it. In all, in, all, in all fairness, though, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm curious if it would ever be possible to get like a pro Chinese, actual Chinese dude instead of like you know, chinless white guys who like sing the <laughs> phrases of like, you know, Oh, that's well, cold. That's cold. So that's... Okay. No, no, no. It's just like love. It always just, Oh, like, you mean like uh, the average, like Maoist, like tanky on Twitter? Oh, well, well I mean, yeah. like, like, I mean, uh, obviously like if, 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 if you were having someone from China on the stream off camera, there's like a gun held, like there's a gun held out. And as soon as they go against party line doctrine, it's like technical difficulties. Please stand by and you hear a gunshot. Like uh, yeah. I'm fairly certain there's like a divide there, but like, cause like the pro China people tend to be honkies who have never went a day in their life without who have this weird warped view that like communism totally doesn't lead to hunger, misery and need. And when you say things like, have you ever noticed China had so many famines? They had to name the worst one, the great famine to distinguish it from all the other famines. And then they're like a blah, blah, buzzword catchphrase verb, the adjective noun, neo-colonial imperialist capitalist, a blah, blah, blah. And you never get anywhere with them. Like, so I'm, I'd like to believe there are pro-China people who don't fall under that category, but I've yet to meet them online. It was weather patterns. Mm. <laughs> you know who's interesting? <laughs> <laughs> that's how they just they explain the home door other patterns um you know who'd be interesting it, it's like the equivalent of like the other ideology saying that like because the 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 chambers don't reflect blue it didn't happen anyways never mind um mm. and by the way for those who are talking about ppp i have no idea who ppp is but oh, people's but, populist press i wonder okay. if we could get him on but he's been kind of Maybe I don't know. No, I want to. I want to do. A, I want to do a thing right now. A drama for the, stream. So for all the people who are watching this right now, if you know PPP, um, I'm not talking about getting PPP on the show. Specifically, here's what I want you to do. Okay, here is a link. I just posted the YouTube link to a song called "Darling PPP" by the J-pop singer Crystal K. Oh God. So, by the way, what do you think of her, Gio? Check ch check it out. This oh yeah. Is Crystal K. She, she, you know. She, you know, it would be good. We had her once, but if you wanted like interesting, like postmodern, like, sorry, no post like Marxist type stuff. Do you remember Neko girl? She has that. Oh yeah. Museum. Yeah. Yeah. We should get her on. I wanted to get my friend Dasein on with uh, Alexander Bard. That would be interesting because he's oh, oh, into uh, a lot I, of I have a, I, this is, um, I, this might, this is a little bit closer to whimsy than, arguing theory and, pra and, and, and and praxis and all these things but like love there's a gentleman on twitter i believe you should have on your on your stream um fist philosopher all right uh he, oh i, I heard tried, of that guy i think i tried <laughs> getting in touch with him i think before let's see fist. Uh, I, I, for starters like it what a like one of the sharpest tools in the shed and mm -hmm. i met think work through like teal uh, in so many words i'll try to uh, uh, green text this okay uh, he had a tournament, and it's called the Tournament of Anything, and where, like, whenever, right when people are about to compete, they have to agree on the terms of, like, the duel, which means, like, a freestyle rap battle, uh, rock, paper, scissors, speed-running Super Mario World. Hell, the first, the first event was how many countries can you name in the world under 10 minutes? 
and someone listed every single country on planet Earth in four. Um, and then uh, one of the events was like, download this app. Walking loses. And like one guy. Wait, wait, uh, St. Haynes, you disappeared for a second. After you said uh, download this app, then the audio disappeared. C can oh, you my bad. From there? Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yes. So like um, two people competed where they downloaded an app to measure the distance that they walked. And the competition was whoever stops walking first loses. So one guy got on a track and field. And after like eight miles, he was like, I can't do this anymore. I give up. And the guy who won, he just walked out his house, made a left turn and kept walking. And upon realizing he won, he's like, oh, man, I got to walk back now. <laughs> um, uh, battleship. Um, uh, uh, writing a poem. Like, so, so hell, like who could post a funnier gif? So um, uh, people, oh, and there was like a loser's bracket. So if you lost, you still had a chance of winning the championship. And like this all ground to a halt because of Chinese lung herpes. And like, I'm so like, it, it's, it's sad because like, it's like the tournament that was, but never finished, you know? Mm. And like, I've had, and I've had, so number one, I always thought that was an incredibly uh, sharp and lateral thinking example of someone using Twitter as something other than social media. He turned it into an IRL game with IRL. Yeah, that's like those rich, like IT people, like the original Silicon Valley, like rich kids. They were into like weird games, like pranking games and geocaching. And I think Atrocity Guide on YouTube uh, had this documentary about some guy from MIT that went to work for Microsoft had like this elaborate geocaching game where a guy like died in like the Sonora Desert or something like that. Whoa! <laughs> so, yeah. Are you kidding me? So so uh. so 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 Lev, like like uh, uh, that because I hope to God we have another tournament of anything because like it turned out like that's how I met Thinkwork. In fact, that's how I met like a bunch of people I became mutuals with and I've gotten to know and like even met up with a few of them and honestly like they're all stand up people. And it melted away a lot of heart, what I used to think was hard-earned cynicism about the internet. And on top of all of that, Fist is such a sharp, amicable, hilarious dude and a perfect example that no dummy ever had a sense of humor. Mm. So you should get him on your program. I think that would be a wonderful idea. I'm putting uh, that uh, into the uh, Put the feelers out. Yeah, putting the feelers <laughs> out. Put the feelers <laughs> on this guy. That's so nice. <laughs> so guys, before before we go, before we go, uh, there's also another super chat from Lisa Bode. Shout out to Mr. Uh, Fee Ness. Love you guys. I don't understand that. But uh, Finesse? And, and maybe. And Philip, I would love to have you on Break the Rules. You know what we're going to do, by the way? We're going to do a Patreon-only stream coming up uh, next week. This week, there's still a lot of stuff that I got to do on the uh, side here, you know, uh, un unpacking the boxes and all that. Still, like, mm -hmm. I had to... I've been... Hopefully, the echo has much improved, but uh, I'm hanging more of those soft things, just covering the entire wall ceiling with them. I just had to hang a cloth on that side because I didn't have time. But anyway, guys, this is the end of the stream. Follow Geo at Giant Geo on Twitter and also follow his YouTube at uh, youtube.com. And my Instagram, Giovanni Penichetti. But you can find, like, if you go to my Twitter, there's my link tree with all everything. 
Yeah, um, G- Geo, I I only wish your surname was easier to spell. Yeah, that's I know. Only, what are you gonna I'm do? coming out. I'm editing a video that's going to have a bit more production about that recent tweet by what's that account called? Going Godward. But it's about the artist um, uh, Tuli's Latrac and how like. Ooh, nice. But it's it's relevant to the. Well, Toulouse Latrec. If it was Toulouse Latrec, he'd Toulouse be leasing Lattrec. a car, but he ended up losing the car, just oh, like God. he lost uh, certain certain parts of his um, uh, GNA or whatever. So he ended up being a little bit screwed up yeah. uh, bodily yeah. wise. But that was okay because he was in the uh, Moulin Rouge and he had a fun mm. time. And, and he was in. Well, it was about how he was uh, painting uh, various prosties. Because it was about that thread by going Godward that like people were absolutely decimating, like for for good reason. But like I thought people were too harsh on her about um, the relation of like the male gaze and uh, like instead of viewing women as like objects, but rather uh, this sort of like older sort of chivalrous idea. But anyways, you, you'll see it. You'll see it when it comes out. It just it takes a bit to edit it because like I film myself and then it's like. I'm new to uh, having content that's not like gutter cheap, <laughs> like you know. So, oh, and lastly, uh, guys, please tell me what tree. exactly what exactly this noise is. There is a bird noise that I hear outside I hear, my window. I hear people talking for some reason. No, there's nobody talking. End. Nobody talking on my end at all. It is silent. Man, weird. Maybe it's stained. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I, yeah, it's 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 the lobby of a Zoom call that like once uh once uh once I'm done. Uh, hurrying up and waiting. Uh, I gotta, I gotta put on a shirt and tie and keep my basketball shorts on because uh, Zoom calls don't exist below the waist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, uh, I've, I've just been on standby for, uh, for one of those like, well, this month's budget, five percent mm-hmm. domestic, one percent international. Does anyone else have any comments on the last month's department uh, ratings meeting and blah blah? I'm, I'm just waiting on that. So like. I have that on mute, so I could be here and tell Thinkwort. Can you tell us more about how kids suck these days? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so, well, I, so. I tried to get as much out of uh, that, but apparently he's in luck. You know, he's got that silver lining that we're always uh, that we're always uh, yearning for. So God bless him and uh, his students. So anyway. We are almost at the end. Oh, yeah. Once again, twitter.com slash levpo. Go there and uh, become a part of what is about to happen with the Lev cards. Superair.com slash levpoliakov. I'm going to be launching the NFT soon. The crypto's going up. I got to make hay while the sun is shining, people. Oh, so- speaking of cards, <laughs> buy Lev's cards, but also um, my friends at the Art Collective, Urgregor, Ergivore, sorry, Ergivore. They have their uh, e-celebrity cards they just came out with. Uh, one of them is, of course, Paul Town. And there's a bunch of other ones. I believe Amy Therese is on there. Um, I believe some other people, more m- m- nefarious people are on there as well. How do you, uh, how do you spell their Twitter? Ergivore. So, like, you know, Ergivore. Like, so E-R-G. Um, Erg- so, it's like Ergregor, the you know, mental construct. There we go. Vor, I found it, yes. Yeah. Instead of gore. Ergivore. Yeah, it's, it's a clever, it's like you, uh, create the entity that consumes you. 
in a I, I, I wonder, erotic though, fashion. In this, uh, I, I see Amy Therese. Oh, look at the Amy Therese one. Yeah, this that is so one adorable. got fucking bombed. I'm glad that my Amy Therese didn't get too fucking ratioed, but like that one got really fucking. Why? It's kind of cute. I don't. I don't see. Yeah, why but that people one... they thought like it was terrible, and oh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. People are people can be mean, but. Uh, yeah, Ergivore. This is this is really cool stuff they're doing. Do they, by the way, share in any of the proceeds from the celebrities? Well, I e think. Celebs um, they... No, I think like it goes to the artists themselves, uh, but maybe like they get their permission to uh, to do it from people. Um, I I was thinking of doing one, but I just didn't have enough time. Or, well, you know. Well, there we go, everybody. Thank you guys so much for watching. This was a wonderful episode of Break the Rules. Once again, huge thanks to uh, 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 Thinkwort for coming in here, talking with us, uh, giving us uh, wisdom. And uh, this is it. This is the end of the stream. Thank you so much for watching. Be sure to subscribe. Patreon.com slash Break the Rules. We got a new $30 patron, by the way. Very excited about that. All the way from Sweden, I believe. Ooh. So there Invest we go. Invest in love, ladies and jerks. Especially if we got to ship internationally, you better start investing in love.